This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Well, a few weeks ago, uh, we started a series that uh, we call No More Tombs. And it really started on Easter because we wanted to reflect on the story of Jesus and the magnitude of the resurrection of Jesus. We wanted to take some time to investigate the fact that when Jesus walked out of the tomb from death to life, that it was an invitation to us throughout all of human history, that we did not, for the rest of our lives, have to live in death, that the invitation from God was going to always be that we could walk away from that and live in life. But the realization for many of us is that even though that is the invitation that God has leveraged through the resurrection of Jesus, that most of us find that if we simply just sit back and look at our lives, that there are places that there is death. And we have to be a little bit more generous in the way that we identify what death and life are, because life is not simply breathing. Most of us know that. Most of us know that it's not just the fact that I'm consuming oxygen and that my cells are alive and that my heart is beating, that life is something a little bit more grand than that. And death isn't simply the absence of those things. It's not that I stop breathing, that there can be death long before that moment. And it's such a critical issue. And so for the last few weeks, we walked through a a, a series of, of topical conversations we looked at Uh, our past, because for many of us, our past has become a tomb that has trapped us in death. We looked at uh, uh, our relationships. We looked at, even last week, our finances. And this week, we're going to talk about something that I think is just affecting most of us. It's it's our time. Uh, The way that we spend our week the way that we allocate that 24 hours that every one of us has. And the truth is, is that every one of us in this room feels a little bit pressed when it comes to how our time is being spent. Some of y'all are so stinking stressed out, you don't even have time to read the book on stress that you bought, right? That's how stressed out. Some of you, your family's routine is so pressed that when you call your kids to come to dinner, they go run into the car, right? Because that's just how booked tight you are right now. I want to read a quote. I, I read very few magazines, but in both the, uh, some of the periodicals that I read, um, this is a quote from uh, Ink Magazine. The cover story this month is Get More Done, and it says this, that a growing body of research shows that no amount of gadgets or inspirational slogans can alter the performance limits of the human brain. In other words, even with all the iPhones and gadgets and apps for that, even with all of that, the ability that we have to perform still continues to kind of remain at its peak. And many of us are feeling the strain of feeling like life is demanding more of us than we have. We're feeling the strain of feeling like, God, I wish that I had more hours in a day. Let's just take a look at how some of our lives are spent. In our lives, we will do this. We'll eat out 14,441 times, 18, 
hundred of those at McDonald's. Somebody is loving it this morning. We will spend 13 years and four months watching TV. That's like watching Lost about 18 times. And that is just not worth it. That's all I'm going to say about that. Because the end, man, the end. Why did Anyway, do I need to harp on that? Is there anybody that watched that TV show and was just thoroughly disappointed? We will spend five years waiting in line. Five years. All right, that's the average person. I'm guessing for me, it's somewhere around like 25. Because if I ever go to Walmart, out of the 1,800 checkout lanes that they have, they ain't got but two of them open. Right? And people lined up to the back, and I'm sitting there in the back of, like, the lady in front of me has got two grocery carts filled with stuff. Like, golly, I'm going to be here all day. Waiting in line five years. We spend one year looking for misplaced items. Think about that. Some of y'all have already spent like 30 minutes this morning looking for your keys. You don't know where they are. We will attend 35 weddings. And we will drive 627,000 miles. The truth is, is that when we get to the end of our life, we will not be asking in the back of our mind, man, I wish I could have done any of those, just a little bit more. We won't be saying, man, I wish I could have ate that McRib when that thing came out. Golly, that thing sounds real good right about now. It's not going to happen. The truth is, is that there's a great disparity between the way that we want to live and the way that we are living. There's a great disparity between the way that we want to live and the way that we are living. So I want to give you some symptoms this morning that you might actually be in a tomb, that your time and the way that you spend your time might have actually created a tomb in your life. Let's look at this. The first one is that we're overextended and tired. That we're overextended and tired. How many of you have stuffed this on your to-do list that's been on your to-do list for about three months? And you're sitting there, I'm going to get to it one day. That's coming up. No, it ain't. <laughs> no, it ain't. It's just going to stay on that to-do list. Right? We we get overextended. We, we overpromise. We try to cram 30 hours into a 24-hour day, and it leaves us tired. The second thing is that we become less productive. You see, the common thought here is that if I do more, I will be more productive, right? In other words, if I work today and I need to work and I work 12 hours, then I should be more productive. But if you go out and try to chop wood with a dull axe, right, you can put a lot of work into something that you might not get a lot of return out. And some of us, if we've overextended and grown tired, we've become that dull wax. Look at this verse out of Proverbs 21.5. Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste lead to poverty. Right? So the, the more that we do, the more bankrupt our life begins to become. The faster we live, the more we live without. But somehow, when we look at that verse, let's pull that up again. That if we're planning diligent, that if our time is allocated, well, let's look at that next verse. Desire without knowledge is not good. How much more 
will the hasty feet meet the way. See, when we become hurried in life, when our life becomes overly fast-paced, and let's just be honest with you, that's the way that our culture has built life for us. That it is easy to miss the way. The third thing, this, these are all in your notes, is that the risk of sinful decisions increases. The risk of sinful decisions increases. When we are tired and fatigued, when we're out of breath and unable to catch our, our breath in life, when we're unable to get our feet under us in the journey, the risk of making the wrong decision, a sinful decision, begins to increase. Look at this verse out of Luke. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with arousing drunkenness and anxieties of life. And that day will close in on you suddenly like a trap. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. Let's just be honest that when we get to this point that our hearts are weighed down because we have so many things that are weighing on our hearts and it is easy to find ourselves suddenly because of the pace that we have engaged our life in in a place that was a trap. So the risk of sinful decisions increases. Number four, our emotions become unstable. Our emotions become unstable. I will give you a very short thing that I say around our home a whole lot. I don't think I've said it to you guys yet. Feelings lie. Feelings lie. And we've been given and leveraged a Christianity for most of us that would say, I just feel like I'm, you just, what? You you feel? Like that can mean that you, you like had a Coke at the right time or the wrong time, right? Maybe your blood sugar is a little off. What? What happened to absolutely hearing from God and knowing, right? Like I feel a little depressed and so God, no. Feelings will lie to you, all right? Let's go back to Jonah, right? Jonah is running from God. God said, go to Nineveh, right? Go to this group of people that I know you hate, all right? This ethnic group that you don't like a whole lot, I'm going to send you as a prophet because if someone doesn't go, this nation is going to literally destroy itself and I'm going to have to be a part of that destruction. So I'm going to send you there. Jonah goes the opposite direction and on the boat we find him asleep. When the storms come. You see, he was at peace running away from God. Right? He was was at peace with it. Feelings lie. And when we get in this moment, When we get overextended and tired, our emotions become unstable. Look at this verse out of Job 9. My days are swifter than a rudder, and they fly away without a glimpse of joy. Job in this moment is in the middle of a very difficult trial where 
Most of his life has been destroyed. And he said, look, the pace of my life has increased so much that as these days go by, they, they go by without any joy. There's nothing that is joyful right now in my life. And as our lives begin to find that fast pace, as our lives live in that hurry fashion, it is really easy to also live with unstable emotions. The last, or number five, I, I would say that another symptom is that we, what we're busy doing leaves us feeling empty. What we're busy doing leaves us feeling empty. I'm going I'm to tell you a story. I, just as I was thinking about it, it's going to be tough for me to tell this without getting teary-eyed. Um, there have been moments when God has, through other people, taught me phenomenal lessons. And in South Carolina, I had the privilege of leading a team of men uh, in, our, in our church that were just great leaders, innovators. And, and one of them, was one of those guys who just gets super lucky in life. He started a business, grew it, franchised it, sold it to a holding firm for many millions of dollars. They realized they couldn't run the business as good as he could, so they hired him back for a whole lot of money to run the business that he just sold them. Right, just one of those guys. And I walked in one day, we were doing an event, and I, and I walked in and I saw him setting up tables. And in the back of my mind, I thought, what in the world did we ask this guy to do that for? I mean, he's, and this is the implication, he's way too important to be doing that. He's busy. I know he's literally flying all over the world to meet with clients and customers and in development. I mean, this, and, and I walked over to him and in this very shy way, I just said, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm, I appreciate what you're doing. I'm sorry we had to ask you. And he, he looked at me and said, don't you apologize for this. Because this, this is what adds meaning to my entire week. This right here. He said, I, I know that I'm busy. I know that I have a lot of other places, but I find this to be significant. This matters. Being able to come and be a part of a team that's serving people with an eternal purpose, that matters. So don't you ever apologize that I have to be here and do this. You see, burnout, most of us think it comes from us getting too busy, just doing too much stuff. But the real reason people get burnt out is they do too much of the wrong stuff. Because when we do stuff that we find meaning and purpose, when we are actively engaging the calling that God has put on our lives, allowing the gifts and the purpose that God has placed within us to become manifest into a service role where we're working in the kingdom to accomplish something for God. When that moment happens, somehow that work that we're extending energy for becomes something that gives life to us. That's exactly why we put things in your bulletin like this. Um, and, I, and I asked them to put that in here today. Um, the truth is, is that by God's grace, we, we have a ton of people who believe in what we do at our church. By God's grace, we have a lot of people who have volunteered to stand up and help us. And the honest truth is that 
even if nobody ever stepped forward anymore and said, hey, I want to help, we'd be all right. You want to know why we put things like the growth track and volunteer teams in place? It's for you. It's not for us. It's for you. Because you need something to do that has an eternal value to it. You need a place to serve that makes your week feel like it has purpose. You need that. You need something to plug in and go, God gave me this gift and look, this is a way I get to use it for the kingdom of God to grow. You need that. I need that. We all need that. And our volunteers have found that out. And that's exactly what my friend told me that morning. What's that? Yeah, I could do, I I can write you a check right now that could take care of all the need for this week. But the most important thing that God would have me to do would be to be here setting up tables for a child service team so that they can have a great meeting this morning. That's exactly the kind of attitude that God wants us to have. And see, when we get busy doing the wrong things, they leave us feeling empty. They just take and take and take. And the last thing, the last thing that I would say that is a symptom that we're in a tomb is this, that we can't hear God. We can't hear God. This is a a really familiar verse, but look at this with me. Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. You see, for many of us, we keep saying in the back of our mind, God, I don't know what to do. I need you to speak into my life and give me direction. God, I'm confused. I don't hear you speaking. God's just saying, stop. Stop. Stop running. Stop going to every other place that you could for an answer. Be still and listen. Be still. You see, the implication of that verse is that we cannot fully know that he's God unless we're still. That as long as I'm moving, as long as I'm working and putting effort into it, I can, in the back of my mind, in some recess, feel like I can take credit for what just happened. Because it was a collaboration between me and Jesus. We both worked on this project together. But when I'm still, I can watch him work. When I'm still, I can see what he can do. You see, when I'm still, it's no longer about me because I can see that he is God. So I'd like to step just in an abbreviated way back into a passage of scripture that we looked at a few weeks ago. It's John 11. This is one of those really intimate portraits of Jesus. And I'm, I'm not going to read uh, out of the scriptures. I'm just going to paraphrase this, this moment for you. Jesus is in, in ministry activity. All right, so he's on the job doing what Jesus does, you know, engaging people, right, talking to folks. And all of a sudden, two of his friends, 
Martha and Mary come to visit him. And they give him some pretty devastating news that his friend Lazarus is sick. Now, what's interesting is that as you read this, the writer is John. John is often talked about as the disciple who was the beloved or the loved disciple. Oftentimes when you see pictures of who John was, even at the Last Supper, he's sitting next to Jesus with his head up against the heart. John is this person who experiences the love of Jesus and he notices as he's writing that Jesus loves Lazarus. I mean, the the context of John 11 goes to great lengths to make sure that we, as the readers, know that Jesus loved Lazarus. And he was sick. Apparently so sick that his sisters took a pretty long journey to come see Jesus and say, would you please come because there's nothing else we can do. And what did Jesus do? He waited. He waited. He did not drop what he was doing. I'm going to be honest with you. That's one of those things that we look at Jesus and go, that doesn't make any sense. Because if I was Jesus, I would have left right then. You know, I mean, that's, that's like how we do it, right? Because you love, you love him so much, why didn't you just drop everything you were doing? And over the next few minutes, I want to kind of show you that There are tombs that we create with our time. And we can see them at work here. The first tomb that we create with our time is that we let people dictate our time. We let people dictate our time. Y'all had those friends, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. The friends that call you and like, hey, I need you to come over right now. What? <laughs> I'm in the middle of something. No, I need you to come over right now. I just, I was going to move the piano, and that is never a good way to get invited over to somebody's house, right? I was going to move the piano, but no, I'm not coming over. You got yourself in that mess. I ain't helping you get out. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we get those things. We have those friends. And Jesus apparently had those friends too because that's exactly what happened with Martha and Mary. That's exactly what happens. They show up. Jesus is literally in the middle of something. And they come in with their own agenda. Hey, Jesus, my brother is sick. Now, that's not a bad agenda, right? Because let's be honest, if your brother, your sister, your husband, wife, mom, dad was sick, and we knew Jesus was like in theater five right down the hall, I'm sorry, I'm, y'all might be enjoying this, but I'd get up and go get Jesus. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'd do. So it's not Like they had this overly sinful agenda, but they had their own agenda. All right. And in this moment, we see that it's not just bad agendas. It's not just sinful allocations of time that miss the mark on what God wants to do in our life because when Jesus encounters them, he says, don't worry. It's not going to end in death. It's not going to end that way. And in that moment, it's almost as if Jesus can see God's plan unfolding because he makes a statement to them that this is going to happen so that the Son of God can be glorified. Later, after they've left, the, the 
disciples are a little confused. Why didn't you go? You love this man. And he said, you know, no, no, this has to happen. So Lazarus is going to fall asleep kind of thing. And they're like, they can't get it. And he's like, no, let me, Lazarus is dead. He's going to die. And Jesus stays right where he's at. That this concern that's brought to him by people that he loves, that is a good, noble thing, he does not respond to it. The second thing that we create tombs out of our time with is that we let our jobs dictate our time. We let our jobs dictate our time. I'm going to give you something that is just a really great principle. And it's one of those things that it's, it's very intuitive, but it's, it's something that I think most of us uh, don't put this at work. Most of us know that if I... Write down everything I have to do Monday through Friday. I can't get it all done. Y'all know what I'm saying? I, I can't get all, that whole list. I cannot get it all done. There's no way I can cram that into a 24-hour day. And so what happens is that we have to steal from something. We have to steal from somewhere. We're going to steal from our relationship with God. All right? All right. I don't have time this morning. I got to get the kids breakfast and I got to get them out. So I don't have time to have a morning devotional or prayer time before everybody gets up. I can't do that. So I'm going to steal from that. And you know what? I have some work that I got to bring home so that that time, that only that two hour window that I have to spend with my family, I'm going to spend about 45 minutes of that doing work. So I'm going to steal from my family so that I can do my work. You see, to get it all done is impossible. What's going to happen is that you're going to end up stealing from something and most of us, without even realizing it, steal from the wrong thing. Most of us do. Most of us end up stealing from our family. Most of us end up stealing from our relationship with God. I love how Andy Stanley puts it. He said, you know what your boss's job is? Your boss's job is to get the most out of you that they can for the littlest amount of money. That's what your boss's job is. And so in most of us, especially in this economy, right, when it is the unemployment has skyrocketed over the last 10 to 15 years and people want jobs there for every job that's out there now, there's 10, 25, 50, 100 applicants immediately. All right? Employers feel like they can push employees even more than they ever have. I know that that's the climate that we live in right now. All right? That's what your employer's job is too. And so we feel that weight. Right, we feel that weight that my job wants more and more and more. And so to give it more, I have to steal from these other places. But somehow when we get the right things in the right place, we recognize that I'm not going to steal from my family anymore. I mean, there, even the CEO or the CFO of Facebook has made a decision that she's going to leave work every day at 5 o'clock so that she can get home and have dinner with her family. 
All right. Don't tell me you got that much work to do it. All right. I mean, really. All right. You got that many emails to return? I doubt it. All right. But we have to choose to steal from the right thing. And the last thing is that we let our egos dictate our time. Two times in the book of Proverbs, as Solomon is writing, he records the same verse. It is to me the most frightening verse in all of Scripture. It's frightening because it is something that just kind of takes a human heart and fillets it and puts it on the table. It's this. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. That's recorded in Proverbs 14.12 and in 16.25. What that says is that you can be absolutely thoroughly convinced that you're doing what's right right now. And that it will only lead you to death. You can be convinced of it. You can be absolutely convicted that this is exactly right. This is exactly what I'm supposed to do. There is a way that seems right to a man. But the end of that way, the end of that destination is death. You see, when our egos get a hold of how our life is spent, it is extremely dangerous. When me, I start to take the wheel right. Y'all know Jesus take the wheel right. No, when I take the wheel right, that's a dangerous thing in my life. Right now, I'm not advocating you getting in the crash. Don't do that. All right. But I am saying that when we allow our egos to take the reins over our life, that it is a dangerous position for us to be in, that those are three areas. But if we want to walk out of the tomb and let our time become something that has life breathed right back into it, here's what we need to do. We need to let God direct our time. We need to let God direct our time. Now that is a, a challenging, a challenging perspective in life. To let God be the one that directs our time. As parents, to literally pray over our kids and say, you know, what does God really want them to be involved with, right? Like, not, not let's throw them at five sports and see which one actually works. Let's pray about it and see God, God would have them to play soccer, right? And, and we think in the background, God would never, what? <laughs> why, why wouldn't God care? about where your kids get plugged in. Apparently, that if they get plugged in the right thing early enough, it matters. Tiger Woods is a great example of that, right? And so why aren't we praying about stuff like that and saying, God, direct our time. God, I need you today to clarify because I look at this list of my to-dos and it is way, way, way too long. I can't cram it in today, and most of it has a due date of today. So, God, I need you to help me. So I want to give you just a few things to do that will help you as you begin to let God direct your time. The first thing that you want to do is to do what God says to do. <laughs> that seems pretty redundant, doesn't it? Do what God says to do. How about pray about some stuff? You know, I'm really stressed about my family's involved in this, and we're over here in this, and we're doing this, and we're doing this. Well, have you, have you prayed 
about whether you should be doing all that? Have you, have you prayed about that? Have you really sought God and got an answer from God? Do you really know God's direction in those areas? Because the secret in that moment when Jesus did not respond to Martha and Mary is found in this statement that he makes in John 5. Look at this with me. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does also. Jesus says, son of God, I can't do it unless God tells me to do it. All right. So why in the world? Do we try to do it if God hasn't told us? Why? Why do we extend ourselves into areas and things and put ourselves in positions where we have to work so hard and it's something that God hasn't purposed us to do? Because we see in the heart of Jesus that he is just simply following the Father's will. Number two is to keep a regular Sabbath day for rest. Now, the Sabbath principle is that in the beginning, God used six days for creation. He took one day off. All right, so there is this whole of seven, but God only works on the six, right? So there's one of those days that's reserved for rest. And really all throughout human creation, this six on, one off thing tends to kind of be echoed. As a matter of fact, some of the leading research right now for zoologists that work in zoos is that you cannot keep an animal on display longer than six days, that it needs a day off. Isn't that thoroughly ridiculous that creation continues to echo the fact that we need a Sabbath? We need time to unplug, to get out, to just rest, to not have anything to do. When was the last time somebody asked you, what you doing today? You said, nothing. <laughs> not doing anything today. Don't have any plans. I'm not going anywhere. I'm really just going to stick around the house and watch some TV and add to that 13,000 hours of TV, right? No, I mean, think about that. And it does rest. Rest doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we lean to bed all day. It doesn't mean that we don't go outside and work. Rest means that we have not booked that day. That day remains unbooked. It doesn't mean that I don't go outside and work in the garden. It doesn't mean that. It means that that is a free day. And let me give you a principle that goes with that three. It's that we will live with margin. Most of us live lives that we have booked every moment that we have. We've booked it from the beginning to the end. From the time I leave the house until the time my head hits the pillow at night, every moment of the day has been booked out, allocated, and put into a place. And in the beginning, especially with the principle of the Sabbath, God puts in a principle of margin that you are not supposed to live like that. We're supposed to live with margin in our lives, in our finances. We're not supposed to stretch ourselves to the limits. This is such an important principle. I'm considering taking the month of June and doing a whole sermon series on this. All right, let me just put a practical illustration. Most of us, if it takes 20 minutes to get to work, and we're supposed to get to work at 8 o'clock, we leave at what? 8, 4, 7.40, right? We live at just enough time to get there. And what happens when someone cuts you off, right? You start waving at them, telling them how nice they are, 
giving them salutes and stuff, right? That's how that works, right? Because you're so booked, you got to get there. But leave 20 minutes early, and what happens? They merge. Everybody merge. The whole road just merge. I don't care. I got to be there right now. Right. What's the difference? The difference is, is that in that moment, you're living with margin. That's the only difference. And when we don't live with margin, it affects everything. Our attitudes, how stressed we are, all of that. Let's go back and look at that text out of John 11. Jesus is presented with a need, right? Lazarus is sick. It's serious enough for his sisters to come and find him. And in that moment, Jesus realizes it was not God's plan for him to leave. And he sticks back for two more days. Think about this. It was God's plan for Lazarus to die. It was God's plan for Lazarus to die. And how many of us have poured our efforts, energies into trying to keep something alive that it was literally God's plan to let it die? Because two days later, Jesus shows up to their town. And as he is walking into town, Martha runs out and greets him shortly after that, Mary. And, and by the time Mary gets there, the emotions of having lost a friend hit Jesus. And it's this one moment in Scripture when his humanity is so evident, Jesus begins to cry and weep as his friend has died. But he goes to the tomb and has them roll the stone away. And for God's glory, Lazarus walks out alive. You see, if Jesus had shown up two days earlier, Lazarus would have still died. Because Jesus said, what? I can only do what the Father is doing. See, he knew immediately that God's plan was for him to die and then him to be resurrected because some of us in this room today need to be reminded that death is not the end. Death does not have to be the end. And though maybe right now in your finances, maybe in your time, as we've talked about it today, you're experiencing death. Maybe, maybe in this moment, we can see that death doesn't have to be the end. It doesn't have to be the end. Let's pray. Dear God, as we take a moment and pause in your presence, we just want to ask you to come and to be our center today. Throughout this series, we've invited you to be the center of our relationships and God, to be the center of our past and be the center of our finances. But today, God, our life, our time, God, this mysterious way that we take a 24 hours and invest it in multiple places, God, would you today, through your glorious power, Come and free us from the death trap that is living this hurried, fast-paced life. So today, God, we look to you.
God, we look to you to be the finisher of our lives, to be the director of our paths. And with nobody looking around, everybody's eyes closed, head bowed. As we've looked through these weeks, we've learned that there's no way for us to escape these tombs without Jesus. Jesus is the life that gets us out of the death. He is the one who has overcome. We are the ones who have got ourselves in some pretty big messes. And so if you're here today and you say, you know what? I kind of recognize that I need that life that you're talking about. My life feels like it's just consumed with death, but I want to experience this life. If that's you, would you raise your hand today? I see those hands. Is there anybody else that would say, I want to live in that life. I'm tired of living in this death. And is there anybody that would identify with what we talked about today and just say, you know what? I've, my time has been stretched to every degree. And I really need God to come in to resurrect my time. If that's you, would you raise your hand? There's a lot of us in the room. Let me pray for those people who've responded, God. For those who raised their hand and just said that they are tired of living in death and that they would like to live in life, God, just take them and lead them. Love on them when they need to be loved and encourage them when they need to be encouraged. And for those of us that are in the room today, God, those of us that have felt like our time has been a prison, it's been a tomb, would you through your grace release us to just be obedient for your good and for your glory, we pray, God. Amen.